1: perfect home
2: sweet home so a couple of headlines I want
3: to hit you with before we get into the meat of the hour this I guess this would be the bread or the salad or I don't know what it is
4: The appetizer, Um, which you never order because you're against appetizers. Appetizers
3: appetizers are stupid and weird. They're Um, yummy. Then where do you get mozzarella sticks? (laughs) Why would I ever need need, a mozzarella stick? What?
4: Why Um, would I ever need to see a butterfly or a beautiful painting or hear a song? What is this? You live in a dark world, sir. A world with no mozzarella sticks.
3: <laughs> so, I don't know if you saw what uh, happened in Minneapolis last night, but it was ugly. I mean, no. man, the fire at its height and the protests and everything like that. Well,
4: um, it, it, protests and riots, which, of course, the media reports as protests. I saw people protesting half a dozen big screen TVs right into their car.
3: Um, And uh, somebody just retweeted uh, Al Sharpton said, I'm on the way to Minneapolis. And somebody uh, captioned it with, well, that will help. Yeah, but uh, this is really good. And actually, Tim Sandifer retweeted this, and he's going to be on later this hour talking about something different.
4: Looking forward to it very much.
3: Uh, They had all the information they needed to prevent this, is, uh, is, is what he tweeted. This is from NBC News. Minneapolis police officer at the center of George Floyd's death had been with the department since 2001. During his career, he was the subject of a dozen conduct complaints. He was never disciplined, records show. And they go through the various complaints i got a story I want to get to later because we got something else here uh, I came across the weekend. This is one of the biggest problems we've got with policing in America. Either police officers doing stuff and they don't get disciplined for it, or they do something so bad they get removed from their department and they go to the next county over and get hired. That happens all the time. Yep. That is more common than not. You prove that you can't be a police officer and you go to the next county over and get the job. Mm-hmm. I have qualified applicants that want it right. for some reason. Right. It's disturbing. But anyway, more on that coming up.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, it's it's routine to have false uh, claims of brutality against uh, peace officers. And so the whole thing is it's it's difficult. We need to do a better job at it, though. So uh, nothing speaks louder than a politician's own words. If you're, you know, young and naive, perhaps you don't realize that they flip-flop back and forth depending on who's in power but you might find this interesting it is uh, uh jerry nadler the obnoxious well i'm being prejudicial here aren't i
3: i'd say obnoxious is yeah
4: yeah well i'm i get to be well sure you do
3: yeah he's obnoxious
4: he's a he's a lion piece of garbage jerry nadler he was the head of the judiciary committee Schiff is intelligence, Nadler's judiciary, so he was the the the, 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 the weeble, the troll <laughs> Wow, body shape
3: Wow, you're really working in the most base way.
4: Yes, I am and, and, and happy to be, uh, who's running a lot of the impeachment hearing crap that you watch. but here he is talking about uh, uh ballots and ballot security
2: point and I yield Thank to you. Mr. Nadler. Thank you. I just uh, it's a very tempting point. I just, as a very experienced, practical politician from New York, I feel constrained to observe that in my experience in New York, uh, paper ballots are extremely susceptible to fraud. And at least with the old clunky voting machines that we have in New York, um, the, the deliberate fraud is way down compared to paper. When, they, when the machines break down and they vote on paper, we've had real problems. So that's a, that is there's got to be a way there's got to be a way I'm simply observing that as a problem there's got to be a way of getting the best of our methodologies but in Uh, fact the MIT studies have shown that hand counted paper ballots are among the most reliable and at least if if there's
3: a miscount you can discover it you can't discover miscounts with these uh, machines
2: optical scan with paper I, I want a paper trail I want paper somewhere but pure paper with no machines uh, I can show you. Pre- I can show you experience, which uh, would make your head spin.
4: So, Democrat politicians in the the sleepy backwater small town of New York saying there's rampant fraud, and it's if you don't have you know a paper trail or scans or whatever. And listen, you need not claim there will be fraud, or there is widespread fraud. All you have to understand is if you mail a ballot to everybody in America, there is enormous potential for fraud. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's a road to vote harvesting and the rest of that. I, I just, it is amazing to me the extent to which a, a so-called journalist working for the Washington Post or CNN, well, CNN's just garbage, but um, like NPR that does serious journalism, it's amazing to me how they check their common sense at the door.
3: Well, do you think if it, and and won't even admit there's potential for it? Do you think if the numbers hold up from that special election in California that it turns out to benefit Republicans, uh, mail-in uh, balloting that uh, the the scripts will flip?
4: It's possible, but only if whatever happened in Orange County um, is is applicable to other places. I don't think that's necessarily true. It has to do with you know demographics. And and who's in charge? And listen, I uh, you know I I will vote uh, Republican much more readily than I will vote Democrat. That's no secret. I lean conservative slash libertarian. Um, but uh, I, I don't want conservatives engaging in vote fraud. Absolutely not.
3: Um, I got a question for you about obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay, I know something about that. Stay tuned for that.
4: Yes, uh, and I will I will tell you why I know something about that. Um uh, but a word from our friends at Simply Safe uh, named the best overall home security system of 2020 by US News and World Report. It has everything you're looking for. The the window sensors, the door sensors, the the doorbell cameras, the alerts, the everything. You want, but none of the expensive installation charge or some uh, rando coming to your home for a couple hours and no long contracts, no
3: randos, rando free zone. Yes, you order online, click of a button, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in. Boom, you've got this great protection, not great, the best, according to U.S. News and World Report. Uh, it's going to cost you about 50 cents today. A, a day, no long contracts. I mean, you can't go wrong. Free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Why wouldn't you try this and prepare yourself for the zombie apocalypse?
4: Or whatever, you know, depending on your neighborhood. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Again, free shipping, 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply is spelled S-I-M-P-L-I. com slash Armstrong.
3: So we all have a little bit of obsessive-compulsive disorder. That's one of the things that's disturbing about it is we all have a little bit. Yeah. I, th- I think that's true. I have a tiny, tiny. Well, I have a tiny bit. I think in the way that uh, normal people do. Um, it doesn't uh, hinder me in any way whatsoever. But there are weird things that I do. Like, like I always the uh, the microwave has always got to be an even number when I set the seconds. Mm, that's funny. I know, we talked nothing. about this the
4: other day. I realized
3: I did the same thing. And 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 uh, if you told me I want you to heat that up. 21 seconds. I'll give you five dollars. I'd do it, and it wouldn't bother me. I wouldn't not be able to get to sleep right. or walk out of the room or anything. It wouldn't be a big deal. But i do it. It's, so it's a tiny bit. But my son has got it a lot, and it manifests itself in different ways all the time. And it's just, it's, it's amazing. Those of you who like have dealt with it your whole lives, I can't imagine. And and uh, we had a coworker who had it pretty bad, and he it wrote runs in
4: my family. I have multiple family members who deal with it for whatever reason.
3: Is there a um, uh, uh, one that stands out, a particular portion of it that stands out in your mind? Is being uh, does it hold anybody back from being able to live their lives? Uh, doesn't help. Yeah, doesn't help. Yeah, like so, sometimes my son can't leave the house. I mean, that's one of the biggest ones. He can't go outside. He can't he? Can't go outside, and he just can't make himself do it. It's it's it's, it's hard for me. I have to conceptually. Take it in because mm-hmm. I I can't imagine it. I can't imagine not overcoming my mind and saying, well, of course you can go outside. That's yeah. ridiculous. But it, it happens to him and uh, and I know lots of you listening. It happens to. But with all kinds of different things, uh, he'll get in his mind that um, you know, uh, somebody touched that toy and so now he can't play with it. I can't. I, can't, I just can't. It's your favorite mm. toy. I can't play with it. Yeah. He touched it or or just all kinds of different things and it's. And it bubbles up in different sorts of ways, but um, it is uh. Well, we we had a coworker as I mentioned who who found a way, and as you get older, at least you know you can you start to really recognize. Okay, here's where it pops up. Here are the tendencies stuff, and like that. here's
4: how it's affecting my life, and and yeah, right.
3: But we had a coworker as a complete grown man. Sometimes he couldn't he couldn't make it to work because it would pop up with like. You know, the 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 light signals had to be a certain order or something like that, and he just couldn't make it to work.
4: Well, one of the more dramatic things he related in a book, he wrote a brilliant book about it, was that he would get a, a block or two from work and think, oh, my God, I ran somebody over. I think I ran somebody over. And he would circle the block 20 times looking for the body. I mean, that, that may not be exactly accurate because it's been yeah. years since I've read it, but um, that sort of thing. Uh, I will tell you this, and it is a painful parenting memory, I have enough of a tendency toward that that as a kid I realized that's not rational, that's stupid, cut it out. And and it was more like, come on, you can, you can do this, this is dumb, leave it behind. um And it worked for me. And when my oldest daughter showed signs of it, I kind of took that approach with her. I said, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, you understand that doesn't make any sense, right? And you, you can just will yourself to do it, but she had it worse than me. And so instead of responding to that, she started hiding it and not coming to me for help with Mm -hmm. it, which is enormously painful to me looking back um, because she thought I would give her the uh, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, speech because it worked for me. Um. So, you know, if somebody has it bad, they need more help well, and I would have done exa- cut it out. I would
3: have done exactly the same thing if I weren't married to a person who was a psychology major and dealt with kids who had that in their life. Yeah. I well, mean, I'm
4: married to a banker, so they're very good at keeping <laughs> track of their finances, but, but not so good at their OCD.
3: But uh, the th- thing I notice is that it makes it, like, close to impossible for the household to function yeah. if somebody's got it really bad. I mean, because... He can't function and then we can't function around that. And it's just oh my god, it's 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 absolutely amazing. Mm. I mean there are so many limits on on so many things. Um the number of this, the the amount of time of that, the temperature of this, the feel of that, the can you go outside? You can't just all these things there are so many limits, it gets so constrained at some point, just what can you do? Yeah. I mean it's it's really amazing. Yeah. Well, um, and, and the just human a, brain is fascinating
4: to save people the trouble of writing emails and or texts, Yes. Both of us are aware of uh, counseling and or pharmaceuticals designed to
3: help with this sort of thing. Oh, so perfe- sh- shut perfe- up. I'm not interested perfectly. in your opinion. Well, that's no, my, that's my response. Joe's got the kind response. I've got the mean response. My response is thank you for wanting to help. But we're aware of. It. Yeah, my response is shut up. I'm not interested in your opinion. But um, <laughs> th- it, the human brain, why would your why would a human brain ever do that to you? Make it so you can't
4: go outside. I wonder if it's one of those things that, you know, the scale just gets tipped a little too far. The guy who checked one more time to make sure there's not a saber-toothed tiger in the cave, maybe
3: he (laughs) survived. (laughs) Right, exactly. You know, I'm going
4: to check one more time. I don't know. Or, Or check for ticks or whatever. The guy who obsessively checked for ticks didn't get Lyme disease. I don't know. I don't know. That's a wild guess. I heard about OCD. Or maybe it's some freaking fertilizer that's universal, and, and so anxiety and depression and Parkinson's and everything else is, is higher now. I don't know.
3: I'd heard about OCD my whole life, but I mm-hmm. I didn't know all the different ways it can manifest itself. Like, you just can't wear shoes. You just can't wear shoes. You can't. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're just not wearing socks and shoes now.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, then, how do you function in the world? Well, if you're a kid, you can, but I don't know what you do doing when you get older. Let's you, see, you become tour, a swimmer? Tour with Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> went to a beach town. Yeah. 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 How
4: about flip-flops? Can we start there? Baby steps. Yeah. Yeah.
3: But uh, it's, mm. it's absolutely amazing. Um, uh, and there are drugs, but they don't all work, and they all have side effects. Right. So. Right, yeah, Yeah. tough stuff. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. I'm going to dig up that story about the policing thing, which is really interesting, how bad cops move from, from, uh, they just move to another job and get hired again. Mm -hmm. Oh, really, really troubling, among other things on the way.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
4: The Armstrong and Getty Show. The officer trying to push his way through the traffic. Oh guy riding on the hood, guy on the, on the uh, windshield, dove off. Here comes another unit around as we widen out here. You can see this one person here, that's the one who was on the windshield, oh uh, came flying off as the officer drove away. And now, here we go, here we get a status. it's going to be a bad thing. Start kicking the car. That officer should just drive away, yeah, because he's not going to do any good there. But uh, fortunately, they got up on the hood of that CHP uh, car, and as the CHP pulled away, he came off the windshield and is now laying there in the uh, uh, right shoulder. People are now surrounding. So that's, that's the flashpoint you don't want in a situation like this.
3: Some of the protests going on in Los Angeles yesterday, as there were protests all over the country and, and well, riots, really. I mean, things on fire um, violence, destruction of property, the whole thing. I'm around. watching the
4: videos of, of Minneapolis, the fires.
3: Oh, yeah, that's incredible. Over the the horrifying death of this uh, this poor guy at the hands of a, a policeman who we now know uh, had a bit of a troubled career. Uh,
4: coming up, a conversation with one of our favorite civil libert- libertarians, uh, Tim Sandifer. Yeah, on a different topic. In a few moments. Although we can certainly touch on this one too.
3: Um, this is an NBC News report. Minneapolis police officer at the center of George Floyd's death had a history of prior complaints. Um, there was a 19 year uh, department veteran, 19 years with the department, who was the subject of a dozen police conduct complaints that resulted in no disciplinary action. I'd have to hear from you, police officers. Uh, dozen complaints. I mean, multiple complaints over a 19-year... A dozen complaints over a 19-year career. Is that a lot? Is that normal? I, you know, I don't know that. Four
4: one five two nine five kftc is our text line. Or mailbag at Armstrong and Getty, if you'd prefer to email.
3: He had uh, once fired his weapon during an encounter. I know most cops never fire their weapons, but that itself is not anything. Nope. Uh, the officer, Derek Chauvin, and uh, three fellow officers were fired uh, almost immediately upon uh, this story breaking. And that doesn't usually happen across the country, as we all know.
4: Um, Although the fact that the guy who did the uh, neck kneeling is not yet been apprehended is the cause of a great deal of right. the anger in Minneapolis and elsewhere.
3: Yeah, calling for him to be arrested, etc. To be the subject of a dozen complaints over a two-decade career would pe- would appear a little bit higher than normal, said Mylon Mason. A retired Minneapolis Park Police officer and longtime police training expert for the state of Minnesota. By the way, we got a text yesterday from a guy, a regular law enforcement guy that uh, Texas, who said, "I trained people for 15 years in this sort of thing. He did everything wrong, nothing that you're supposed to do." Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on in that guy's head. Well, the cops
4: I've talked to and corresponded with have, have said, "Yeah, 100 percent, unthinkably out of line and wrong." And also agreed with our take that bad cops ruin uh, the lives and jobs of good cops.
3: This person also added, talking NBC News, anyone can file a complaint against an officer whether or not it's valid. So that doesn't mean anything. That's worth knowing. But this uh, this disciplinary record will definitely be up for scrutiny in any legal proceedings, which I'm sure are forthcoming.
4: Yeah. Yep. Plenty more to say about this topic in the rioting and the looting and the legit protests and, and the rest. We'll get to that. Uh, Tim Sandifer. About job-killing laws and a lot of good stuff. Coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
3: Just a quick payoff on what we were talking about. We had one police officer say 12 complaints against an officer in a career that long Uh, doesn't mean anything unless you know what the complaints were. And then somebody else said they were a 27-year veteran, not one complaint. Interesting. Take
4: that for what you want. Depends where you are, too. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, Among the things we won't be talking about because we're so busy with domestic stuff, India and China moving troops to their shared border Uh, after a clash. That's great. Uh, Hong Kong is melting down as uh, the Chinese communists are uh, trying to stamp out the liberty and independence there in Hong
3: Kong. We did finally hit 100,000 deaths, but
4: yeah, and uh, also Mike Pompeo, the State Department, has declared Hong Kong is no longer politically anonymous, autonomous. Not anonymous. We know who they're. Uh, they're not autonomous, which m- matters a great deal uh, in various trade and financial agreements. Um, and it's a real, uh, it's a. a It's more than a a shot across the bow of China. It's more like a a shot to the chops. Um, And China, meanwhile, continues to militarize the South China Sea. So, golly gee, the world not polite enough to stop doing what it does while we deal with the COVID. On a completely different topic, this is so hot in your blue and purple states, often pushed by the unions. These laws that outlaw uh, gig work, essentially. And uh, Tim, the lawyer, Sandifer, longtime friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Tim is the vice president for litigation for the Goldwater Institute and the author of a number of great books, uh, which we will tell you about, uh, you know, later and via the website. Tim joins us. Hey, Tim, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm just fine. Thanks for having me back. Oh yeah, it's it's always a pleasure. Uh, we have a number of civil liberties type issues we'd love to pick your brain on today, but we know you uh you at the Goldwater Institute have joined in the fight against uh, California's notorious AB5. Tell us about it.
5: Yeah, so AB5, for those who, who don't know, is this state law that, that requires people who would prefer to work as freelance workers to instead be classified as employees, and that's a bad thing for a couple of reasons. One is it deprives people of their own freedom of economic choice. It's, really, it's always amazed me how the left likes to call itself the party of choice when, in fact, the, it's devoted to depriving people of the freedom to choose when it comes to their economic circumstances. Can, I just, can
3: I just jump in at that just for people that might not think of freelance workers? Who are those? That's like your Uber drivers, wedding photographers, people that deliver newspapers. Musicians, journalists. Yeah, a lot of those people. But yeah. back, back to Tim.
5: And these and these people prefer to work freelance for a number of reasons. One is because, you know, like with musicians, that's just the nature of their work. They travel around. They play, perform here and there. It doesn't make sense for them to work as an employee for a particular corporation or something. And the other thing is that that costs a lot of money. Full on-staff employment status is very expensive and time-consuming. It requires a lot of paperwork. It requires all sorts of benefits and, and expenses. And here's Tim's rule of economics number two is you don't help people by making it more expensive to hire them. That's what AB5 and laws like that do is it makes it more expensive to, to to give people jobs. So naturally enough, the result is going to be more unemployment and more difficulty for people who want to work part-time or want to work on a freelance basis. And, you know, Joe, you said that this is being pushed by unions. That's absolutely true. What what we've seen in the past 15 years or so is union representatives elected to, to government passing laws that put heavier and heavier burdens as a government matter on non-union employees, in order to try and price them out of the market, so as to inf- to force businesses to resort to union labor instead. It's like putting your thumb on the scale, or except it, it's an incredibly massive thumb. And one of the big problems with AB5 is it it even applies to journalists, to writers, and puts a quota on how many articles a journalist, a freelance journalist, can submit to a journal before that person has to be put on staff. You're allowed to submit 35 articles to a newspaper, and after that you have to be hired on full staff. So what's happened then is the newspapers have hired all these people, You've right? You forced
3: the newspaper to provide them a full-time job they can support a family on.
5: Good on them. Well, especially because, you know, everybody knows what how the, the newspapers are are just rolling in the dough right now. The newspapers are just financially so solvent that this couldn't possibly be a problem for them, Right. Well, of course, that's ridiculous. In fact, not only does this hurt the media generally, but it particularly hurts small-scale papers like alt-weeklies and small community papers that very heavily rely on freelance contributors because they can't afford to hire on full staff. Well, what does that mean? That means that your establishment media is protected in a way that your non-establishment media isn't. The freelancers tend to be the people who do the stories that the, the mainstream establishment media doesn't do for whatever reason, either because they're afraid to or because there's just no money to be earned in it or whatever, whereas freelance journalists tend to smoke, focus on small communities and, and important investigative anti-government work, things like that, that are really important to our to free speech, and AB5 restricts that, basically censors it. Now, this is a law
4: in Cal Unicornia, but again, we want to emphasize to people, across the country that this is this is a movement. It is a trend. Perhaps you've heard about the move to unionize McDonald's workers and, and that sort of thing. Uh, what do we know about the Lorena Gonzalez, the uh, legislator who uh, who championed this thing?
5: Well, you know, she is an ideological pro-union person. She believes the ancient, worn-out, obsolete canard that unions speak for the little guy. In reality, of course, unions are big faceless corporations that exploit workers for their own private profit. But she's one, a rigidly ideological pro-union person who thinks people should not get a job unless a union boss says they're allowed to. And so she's go- devoted to ensuring that employers find it more expensive to hire non-union labor. I call it reverse feather betting. Back in the 1920s and 30s, there was this thing called feather betting where a union would force an employer to keep people on the staff who didn't need to be there. The most famous example is railroads were required to have uh, uh, firemen in the the engine of a train, even though it was a diesel, and there (laughs) was no reason to have a fireman. So that's called feather But nowadays what you have is the reverse of that. You have instead the unions are forcing employers – to uh To be more inefficient and and to cost more if they don't hire unions, which is you know it's cl- a clever scheme on them, but but what it really ends up doing is it tying the hands of workers or would be workers who would prefer if they had the freedom of choice to work freelance
3: well since the people in this room uh, and you uh, uh, theoretically in this room, this conversation are all in agreement on this, what is it that you're you're able to do about it? What, what's the headway you're making on ending this uh, ridiculousness?
5: Well, there's a lawsuit now that's, that's pending in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. It was filed by our friends at Pacific Legal Foundation, where I, where I used to work a few years ago. And we filed a brief in, in support of them in this case, focusing on how this 35-item quota for journalists, not, not only is that a violation of people's freedom of economic choice, but it violates free speech because it only applies if the articles the person submits are, uh, pertain to a topic or an event. And what that means is if you're like, you know, a poet and you write poems that aren't particularly about anything, you can do as many of those freelance as you want. And if you get paid for it, that's perfectly fine. But if you write articles about the same subjects, then the 35-item quota applies, which violates the First Amendment. I mean, this literally Mm. is a thing that says if I submit 36 poems to a magazine, that's okay. But if I write 35 articles about poems, now all of a sudden I have to be full-time, on-staff employee.
4: Well, and I would submit to you that if I want to exercise my First Amendment rights and somebody says, hey, that's good, I want to publish it, and Lorena Gonzalez or any government official uh, between, uh, you know the great coasts of this beautiful land. Sorry, Alaskan, Hawaii, you get nothing. I kid. But the idea that any government official would say, no, you don't get to publish that in that place because you've already published enough. That's, not a, that's beyond a
5: violation. It's an obscenity. It's horrifying. As, as, as the old saying goes, I'm old enough to remember when Democrats thought that mature adults should be free to do as they chose with their own minds and their own bodies. And apparently that doesn't apply outside the bedroom. Apparently if you want to get a job working for a, uh, a freelance for Uber or a pizza delivery company or working as a journalist or whatever it might be you need to get the government's permission.
4: This is devastated community theater by the way because they would hire a pro to do their lighting for instance on a uh, you know a, a 1099 basis a, an independent contractor and the, there are now severe limits on that and so now all you have is giant theater and like high schools and it's it's crushed community theater. But uh, Tim Sandifer is online, vice president for litigation at the Goldwater Institute, and
3: published poet. Speaking of yes. poems, I saw that tweet a while back. Where where do you, one of your poems got published? Where?
5: Uh, First Things magazine. That's that's very impressive. Is man. that the the one about the guy from Nantucket? <laughs> no, they wouldn't print that one, but I will say I was happy. It was the first time that I ever got paid for a poem. Yeah, that's so, cool. And it does happen. People do do this, and some people make a living at it. And You're a professional ma- poet. That's that?
3: A, that, you're a professional poet. That's awesome. Yeah,
5: that's right. I can only do 34 more of them before I need the, the permission from the government of California. Good Lord, when you put it like that, my blood
4: boils. Uh, Tim Sandiford, can you hang around for a couple of minutes? We'd like to do a little uh, Civil Liberties Round the Horn with you. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Don't go away.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
4: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: Jackson.
3: stop hiding behind the first amendment and, and for profit stop doing it do the right thing so that's Don Lemon saying, stop hiding behind the First Amendment for profit. What well, I just find a kind of a funny notion. but
4: Well, it's um, so horrible, it's absurd. It's, it's, it's horrifying and hilarious. It's horrifying.
3: Mark, we've been talking about Twitter and Facebook and the president's passing a resolution or signing something or whatever. I, I, I don't know. But since we have one of the uh, leading thinkers, writers, speakers about free speech on the air with us. We thought we'd bring it up.
4: Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation for the Goldwater Institute. Tim, are you following the whole uh, censoring and fact-checking and uh, the rest on social media?
5: Yes, and I, I took a look at the draft executive order just this morning. And it, it is quite disturbing. I mean, it's really remarkable. For one thing, the, the executive order tries to say that, uh, that Twitter and Facebook are what they call traditional public forums, which means that it's supposed to be like a public park where everybody's allowed to go and speak their minds, even though it's private property. And there's a famous Supreme Court case called Pruneyard where the Supreme Court said, yeah, the government can force a shopping mall to allow people on their property to hand out flyers and things like that because, yeah, it's private property, but it isn't really. And I'm old enough to remember when Republicans thought this was a terrible idea, that private property is private property and nobody else has the right to tell a, a, a property owner, no, no, we, I get i get to say what I want on your land. And yet that's exactly the basis for this executive order is it's trying to characterize private property, that is Twitter and Facebook, as being some sort of public Open area where the government can come in and require them to to decide who does and doesn't get allowed to speak.
3: So well, so if I'm running one of these platforms, what I would like to do is just kind of let them be as wide open as possible, um, just because I think I think that would be well the best in all kinds of different ways, including me being profitable. But I, 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 I think, or well, you, you can say, I won't put words in your mouth, but I, I think that, that your opinion is probably going to be that they're a private company. They can be as left or right or whatever they want to be.
5: Absolutely, and the the quote that you that you played of the fellow saying hiding behind the First Amendment when it's really for profit. Well, most First Amendment activities are for profit. The founding, I mean, Benjamin Franklin was a for-profit printer. These guys were perfectly familiar with the idea that people express themselves for money. Newspapers are published for profit, and that it doesn't mean that they're deprived of First Amendment protections. And this idea that somehow or another the existence of a commercial transaction suddenly deprives you of constitutional protections is is immoral, is what it is. It's disgraceful.
4: Right. I would suggest that a lot of this is born out of the ridiculously heated rhetoric of our time, where I think we all agree that... Uh, child pornographers should not be on Twitter. On the other hand, if you are constantly calling your uh, political adversaries child pornographers or Nazis, which is, for, there's a drumbeat of calling people Nazis these days, that, then you say, well, we get to censor Nazis. And everybody's so whipped up like angry adolescents that, you know, a lot of the lines yeah, have I, been blurred.
5: I, I do think that adolescent Twitter users, such as people who uh, falsely accuse their political opponents of murder, uh, they certainly are abusing the platform, and it's understandable why people would be up in arms about it. The that.
4: president didn't accuse him of murder. He was saying there should be an investigation. So
1: just, just asking <laughs> people,
4: questions. People are just saying.
3: Questions. Well, it, yeah, Twitter has a right to do that, and we have a right, and should, and everybody needs to, so everybody knows Twitter's being completely phony when they're claiming, hey, we're just arbiters of truth here. We're, we're not taking a side, because that's silly.
5: So, well, of ab, course it's ab, silly. That's exactly right. That's a very important point, because it is silly when uh, companies like Facebook or Twitter stand back and say, no, no, we're just being objective and we're just giving you the unfiltered truth, when there's always a filter, there's always a bias, and that's why, if you don't like it, you start your own platform and compete against them. The cure for bad speech is more speech, not censorship. If you have, if you have the government in charge of deciding who gets to say what and when and where and why, that power is inevitably going to fall into the hands of politicians you don't like. Maybe you think that Donald Trump is is going to administer Twitter correctly, but what are you going to do when he leaves office and gets re- replaced by his political opponents? Then you're going to be screaming censorship, and rightly so, and it will be your fault for having fed the alligator, hoping that it will eat you last.
4: Well said. And Listen, we have maybe two minutes left, uh, but and we've addressed this before, but you know prettier words than we do. You're a published poet. What do you <laughs> say to conservatives who are... Uh, staunch supporters of the police um, and, and, and policing in general and understand what a hard job it is. What do you say to them about police brutality?
5: Well, I think that the people who reflexively defend the police in these sorts of situations, they I think a lot of them have good intentions precisely for the reasons that you say, because police officers put their lives on the line to keep communities safe, and it's understandable why we would be reluctant to criticize them. But criticizing them is important in order to ensure that the police do a really good job. You know, just like when you're coaching a sports team, you know, you go out there and you play a practice game, and it's the job of the other guy to be as hard on you as possible to make sure that you're a better player. And it's the same thing when it comes to the police departments. If we don't point out wrongdoing by police and hold them accountable to the strictest letter of the law you're ultimately undermining their effectiveness as defenders of the law. And you transform it gradually into a society where a whole class of people has no respect and no regard for the claims by the police to be the neutral enforcers of the law. You end up with an entire group of people in your society who, with good reason, looks upon the police not as their friend but as their enemy. And you have a warlike mentality in your communities instead of what we ought to have which is the police are there to enforce the law for everybody and and not you know soldiers on the front lines of the battle and this sort of rhetoric that's what what i think is really being overlooked in in all of this heated debate is it's it's a favor to police departments to hold them accountable as strictly as possible. Sure,
3: if you, over, if you overlook that sort of thing, you won't end up with if you overlook bad cops, you won't end up with more law and order. You'll end up with less law and order.
5: Exactly,
4: and and the point I was trying to make yesterday, because I know and, and like quite a few peace officers, is that if a bad cop does bad things, the good cop who goes into that neighborhood next is in much greater danger and has a much smaller chance of effectively keeping the peace and serving and protecting, which most cops really like doing and want to do.
3: You made an excellent point in a good way, but I know you're not that big a sports fan, and you are a published poet, so I think you should have said, like, a poet, and, like, the poet coach, yelling at the <laughs> <Well>, poet. you <laughs> call that, you know that iambic pentameter?
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you got you know, so a metaphor, it's a load be- of crap.
5: <laughs> I didn't say any particular sport, because I was afraid I'd made a mistake, yeah. but... Th- we, no, Joe, you're exactly right. It's not, not only is it bad for cops who go into, good cops who go into communities that have been turned around by bad cops, but imagine that you're a good cop on the force and you see a bad cop getting away with it time and time again because of police unions, because of media attention, because of uh, weak need uh, officials and politicians in charge. The bad c- cop keeps getting away with it. How long does it take you to either quit – or just stop trying so hard to be a good cop,
4: Tim Sanford. So
5: that apple Tim, ruins the whole bunch.
4: Right, Tim. I hate to jump in, but we're we're down to the bitter, bitter end. Tim Sandifer, vice president for litigation, the Goldwater Institute, author of a number of great books, including The Ascent to Jacob Bronowski and Frederick Douglass, Self Made Man, which is the best thing I've ever read about Douglass. Um, t- Tim, thanks very much.
3: Thanks, guys. Always and great to talk. Very good as always. Yep. Yep. What kind of metaphor
1: was that, Sandifer. Sorry, I'm trying to... That was a
3: metaphor like a guy of... I don't know. And Getty.
0: Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No bridge necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
5: Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why GameBridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you, even if your account balance is zero. GameBridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit gamebridge.io slash for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important
1: information.